Welcome to the Source Podcast, The Week in Review, episode 102, Jordan McDonald. My name's Michael Crutcher. Welcome, Jordan. Hello, Michael. We've changed seats today. I know. It's weird being this end. Yes, Jordan's on the right, and I'm on the left because Jordan is heading overseas on holiday after this episode. Yep. I'm out of here. And that means I'm actually recording this, so I'm having the dummy run today. Yeah. We've just spent the last five or so minutes going through the setup process. <laughs> so I've taken notes. Yeah. And if you hear Daleks and all types of things in this episode, it is my fault. But if you're hearing this episode, it's a good thing because that yes. means there's something happening. But next week or the week after when Stephen Green joins us as the guest host while you're away, let's hope Greeny and I can get this thing going. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you'll be Anything fine. Anything can happen. So before you go and jump on a plane to go overseas, let's look at a few topics in this week in review. You've got the lead you're kicking off. I do. And you're talking about cancel culture but it's not what you think yeah no it's not quite the cancel culture that we're so familiar with there's a streaming streaming platforms they're starting to experience some shrinkage uh, and so they're looking to cut costs and so they're cancelling shows and it's becoming yes. a bit of a trend and there's been more reporting about that lately um, and basically there's people getting disappointed audiences getting disappointed at shows are just getting axed out of nowhere Okay, and so I came across an article this week which looked at what's happening with streaming platforms yes. cancelling compared to how shows used to be cancelled back in the TV broadcast yes. era when they had uh, exclusively the TV shows really there. Uh, and it highlights a pretty significant change, I think, in audience behaviour that most of us probably haven't thought about in a while. Yeah. And in short, the streaming era has got nothing on the ruthless cancellation PR spree of the broadcast TV era. Yep. None at all. So if we go back to 2011, 2012, which was the last broadcast season before Netflix entered that original yes. series market with um, Lilyhammer, at that time only around one-third of the new broadcast series even made it past first seasons. One-third? One-third. Wow, I thought it would be more than that. Yeah, so of the rest, many were just binned mid-run, no warning, not even airing all the episodes they'd yeah, shot. Yeah, I remember some of those. They just disappeared after. They they would used to go from, say, uh, 7.30 mm. on a, say, Tuesday to, like, 9.30 on a Thursday to, like, 11.30pm. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And then they would never be seen again. That's it. So it was extremely rare that a show actually survived long enough that it could tell the ending of its story yeah. in its own words. And then we have the streaming era. So, like, Netflix, we're initially pretty patient with cutting shows because you're paying for that yeah. service. But as they've grown, you know, there, there's some financial pressures now. And as we mentioned, there's some shrinkage. So these cancellations are becoming a bit more frequent. Uh, but even then, someone's done a survey in this report and that's, uh, the cancellation rate is still quite small. It's only 11%. Right. Okay, so 11%. Okay. So shows and, and series structures have also changed in this streaming era, which is something else we haven't really considered too much. Yes. Seasons are shorter. You know, there's fewer episodes in each season too. And generally a show will run for maybe four to six, se uh, six seasons yep. maximum. Yep. Um, and compare that to one of my favourite shows or two of my favourite shows, Friends, 
and Seinfeld. Yes. You know, Friends had 10 seasons, 236 episodes. Yep. Seinfeld, nine seasons, 180 episodes. Yes. Yeah, it's just different. So the, the key takeaway here from the article is that we forget about this broadcast TV period and streaming's really changed audiences' expectations. Um, and it's just something I haven't really thought about in a while. It's just been a pretty significant shift in our audience behaviour. Yeah, there is. And I think, too, that... Uh, I mean, streaming services are still learning a lot about the best ways to operate. Mm. So, you know, we used to have the, 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 I guess, the binge situation where a whole season was dumped on one day. Yeah. And then it'd be a race between you and your friends to see who get through all 10 episodes or, you know. Now we're seeing, you know, the weekly release of shows uh, i know i've been watching ahsoka the new star wars series okay. on disney plus which i know you haven't been watching no i haven't i've been watching that with uh, one of my sons and that comes out in australian time on a wednesday and it sort of comes out and i notice on social media with the sort of episode coming up and then once it's Release. They put some positive posts up there that people have shared, etc. Right. So it's sort of get into that weekly sort of thing where, because as we know, people were taking a fourteen day free trial, yeah, watching yeah. a full se- series and just not again paying. They were mm-hmm. gone. So mm-hmm. there's so much that we're learning about all this. In particular, though, some of those situations with I, I wonder how ruthless that some of these uh, streaming services will be now that times are getting tougher financially and if a series isn't going to float, it's not going to float. So I'll be interested to see if we have this same conversation again in two years, what happens with that. All money-driven, but very interesting. Now, yes. wanted to bring up Facebook this week, Jordan, because there was a very interesting story in the Financial Review this week about traffic from Facebook to news websites in Australia, claiming that that traffic had fallen by about 50% this year. So that is... When you click on a link to a story in your Facebook feed, the traffic then goes to the news website. But this headline in the Financial Review said, Facebook traffic to news plummets. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is that this Facebook traffic is not going through to news platforms, which is really significant. And we'll talk about why. But this is using analytics platform SimilarWeb, which is showing the fall in some of this... uh, So combined referrals from social media platforms for four of Australia's most popular news sites, news.com.au, 9.com.au, 7news and abc.net.au showed a fall from nearly 50 million to just over 20 million a month, according to this data. Now, one mid-sized news publisher which the Fin Review didn't name, said its Facebook post reached 1 million people a month at the beginning of the year. That's dropped to under 500,000 by the middle of the year. So this is really interesting because we've also had a story this week which the Semaphore guys put out about um, Twitter. Let's call it Twitter. It's called X now. But saying that that platform X appears to be attempting to limit its users' access to the New York Times. Yeah. They're saying since late July, engagement on X post linking to the Times had dropped dramatically in the words of, uh, of Semaphore and that hasn't been the same for CNN, Washington Post, BBC, etc. So the drop in engagement to the Times seems isolated. We know that there's been some commentary from Elon Musk yeah. over time towards the New York Times. So yes. here's where this gets really interesting because in 2021... 
the federal government changed legislation. It wanted some sort of financial compensation from Facebook using these, uh, I guess, posts from news outlets on their feed. Um, and as part of that, Facebook ended up doing deals under the, what was called the News Media Bargaining Code with 13 Australian media companies. It's estimated to be roughly $100 million a year goes to those 13 media companies in Australia. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, especially for the news publishers. That's right. So in the next 12 months, these 13 are coming up for renewal. Now, Meta is claiming that now only 3% of what people see on Facebook is news. So you get the the thread here. Meta wants to stop paying this money. Okay, now here is the interesting part. In order to comply with similar legislation in Canada this year, Facebook or Meta just took away access to news links or Facebook. They just, they removed it. Is that in Canada? Yeah, removed wow. it. Okay. Removed it. And they're also talking about doing the same in some other countries, France, Germany, and the UK, removing the news tab. So they're doing this because they don't want to pay money. You may think it seems that way, but here's the interesting part. Does that mean that Facebook is less interesting? So does it mean that people are using Facebook less and not enjoying the experience as much because they can't see the news there, which the news outlets would say, let's hope so? Well, the answer is apparently not because Reuters did an analysis of the Facebook traffic in Canada since the last month or so the news has disappeared and two different outlets found that there was no impact on daily usage of Facebook in Canada. So that shows that the news companies don't have a whole lot of bargaining power here on that metric. So these guys are still posting all their regular news stuff without the link, but they've noticed no dip. Is that what you're saying? No, what they're saying is that they're not putting anything up there. You can't access news from Facebook right. in Canada. Mm. And what this these independent data organisations are saying is there's no drop in Facebook's traffic. Oh, right. So Facebook's so, saying, yeah, well, okay. we don't need news. But here's the thing. News outlets need Facebook. Oh, God, yeah. They need it. God, and yeah. so what happens now is that some of the, this overseas situation that Australian media outlets will be watching, and I reckon they're watching in fear, oh, yeah. will just embolden Facebook. So if this $100 million goes from across these 13 media outlets, which seems to me to be the case, mm. what's going to happen again with some of these newsrooms and the ability to fund jobs? Because... This is not a time for newsrooms to lose revenue. Definitely not a time to do that. And I'm already hearing, take Facebook out, I'm already hearing that 2024 could be a very tough year for newsroom positions in Australia because the revenues just continue to fall. So let's see what we're saying this time next year. Small one we wanted to mention is that there's been some data again from similar web showing that people aren't accessing threads. Shock. <laughs> You're shocked. We're all Shocking. shocked. We're shocked. Guess what? They love TikTok. Uh, they don't care about threads no. and they may not. Now, you've got a really interesting one here about a website that I'm sure a lot of us come across pretty regularly. Yeah, it's uh, Rotten Tomatoes. I read an interesting story this week about that website. And if you're not familiar with it, it's a popular movie ratings website. And this story I read this week had a pretty uh, 
ca- captured my attention. The title said the decomposition of rotten tomatoes, the most overrated metric in movies, is erratic, reductive, and easily hacked, and yet has Hollywood in its grip. Yeah, because it, now it comes up. I think maybe even on you're searching for a movie on Apple. Yeah, and it'll give a Rotten Tomatoes rating there. Yeah, it's apparently super important. Yeah. So. It's, uh, this story started off telling a story about this PR firm called Bunker 15 and the reason that's important is because this was a, a PR company that undertook an unconventional pro- pro- project to, to boost the ratings of a film called Ophelia. Okay. And that film had initially received some really disappointing scores. Its tomato, a Rotten Tomato score was 46%. Not good. No. So to address this, this PR firm started getting together, got a strategy, they highlighted a few certain challenges and they recruited some lesser known rec- uh, crit- critics, sometimes paid them 50 bucks per yeah, review yeah. and encouraged the publication of more positive reviews. For 50 bucks, while, yeah. yeah. While keeping those negative ones out of the spotlight, so putting them on lesser known blogs. And this led to Ophelia's tomato meter score improving from rotten to fresh and really that's helped it secure a US distribution deal. Really? Yes. Wow, this is interesting. Now, so th- the point of this story is it underpins what R- Rotten Tomatoes is and what's created its enduring influence and questionable methodology in the film industry. So yet despite the criticisms from filmmakers and industry insiders, Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter score has become a really pivotal metric in yes. the entertainment world. Significantly shaping how some of these films are perceived, released, and then marketed, and even greenlit by studios. Mm. Um, some of these studios are often tailoring their marketing strategies and distribution plans around this particular score. And some publicists are even using the tomato meter scores in their business plans. They want trying to avoid anything less than eighty on the tomato meter. Now, this right. story, this story interested me because it looks again into the audience behaviour. Um, it is the continued influence of Rotten Tomatoes on audiences yes. and Hollywood can be attributed to what I think could be an illusion of validity or this perceived authority. So while many of us are aware of its limitations and the potential for manipulation, Rotten Tomatoes aggregate scores still hold and sway our decision-making process, particularly for moviegoers and studios. So... Its position is an easily an accept, sorry. Its position as an easily accessible and, and widely recognised source of ratings creates a sense of trust and authority, and even when its readability is in question, so this perceived authenticity keeps Rotten Tomatoes at the centre of the film industry's uh, attention, and it's unlikely it'll disappear anytime soon. Yeah, this is really interesting because I did uh, a couple of weeks ago watch uh, Chinatown. One of the greatest movies of all time. I hadn't seen it for a little while. I studied it at school, actually, when it wasn't such an old movie, but it <laughs> is now. Um, and I noticed when I was looking at that via through Apple movies, it had a tomato meter score of 99%. Huge. Yeah, great movie. Audience score, 93%. I'm looking this up now. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean... And it's, you know, of course it's a 90% one Chinatown, depending on what you think about movies, but fascinating. But And I guess the question goes, why wouldn't it be manipulated? That's it. And well, I wonder how many movies have been. Oh, be, I'm guessing yeah. it's not just a Bunker 15 team accused of this. and No, a few yeah, certainly not. But again, 
it's I mean it's uh, it's hardly a crime as such. Um, it's there to be done. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay, this week we can't have a week in review without talking about the launch of a new Apple iPhone, launched midweek, iPhone 15. Some interesting stuff around this. Now, what's the iPhone 15 going to cost you in Australia? You can get it on September 22. The most expensive one will be the iPhone 15 Pro with one terabyte of memory. Isn't that crazy now? One terabyte. We have one terabyte yeah. in our pocket. For storage. Incredible. $2,749. That's your most expensive one. You want to get the iPhone 15 Pro 512 gig, $2,399. All the way down to the iPhone 15 128 gig at $1,499. Okay, that's the Australian prices. So up to $2,749 for an iPhone in Australia. Don't go leaving it in the back of the Uber, whatever you do. That's an expensive Uber. Now, here's the interesting part, though. Some research, again, in the Financial Review this week found that Australians are upgrading their phones less than they used to mm-hmm. every 3.4 years, according to about every yeah. three years at the start of the yes. decade. So yes. we, we are, and, and why wouldn't you? The phones are so good. However, there is a finding there that while we may be upgrading the phones less frequently, the interest in more expensive phones is on the rise. So there's people who are prepared to pay are still upgrading. So overall Australians aren't, but people who are prepared to pay are. Now, interesting, they said that Apple's market share in Australia has fallen to 44% in the past year. Wow, I so, know that. Yeah, that's very interesting. So we're entering some pretty tough financial times apparently, uh, but there you go. So the Apple iPhone 15, you got the spare 2750 get in line September 22. It's all yours. Jordan, I never thought that you would bring this topic up in the week in review, but you have. So take it away. Jordan McDonald talks about the Brady Bunch. Yes, I had a very nostalgic moment this week. Um, yeah, the Brady Bunch house was in the news. So The Brady Bunch house, which is, of course, the scene shot you'd uh-huh. see all the time there. Yes. The if funky house. If you're not house. with the Brady Brunch, I feel sorry for you. Yeah, well, you don't need to take part in this no. item. You can move to the next one. Um, but HT, uh, HGTV, who own the Brady Bunch house, so they've poured all this money into renovating it, but they've sold it and they listed it for $5.5 million, but it only sold for three point two. So they renovated the house for a 2019 reboot they did. Uh, which brought together some of the old cast and new. But um, wow. I just thought it was an interesting little bit of uh, news because it's sort of telling us that people are moving on. They've moved on from the Brady Bunch. Yeah, I mean, the original Brady Bunch people uh, uh getting on a little bit. That I audience is, uh, yeah. I still can't believe that someone would pay $3.2 million for the Brady Bunch house, but... I mean, maybe it's an expensive neighbourhood. I don't really know that. Yes, but um, the good news for those of us who have watched it and do enjoy the show, um, the person, the new owner, has said it's going to be open to the public. Um, So she plans to use it for fundraising and charitable events as well as uh, luxury rental. I'm not sure how luxury it is, but... Really, luxury (laughs) rental. It's a bit of a nightmare in terms of its appliances and cyborgs. Oh, yeah. I wonder if you get a uh, little housekeeper there as well. Maybe. Like... uh, for the weekend. Now, we've got to mention Qantas because it's the week in review, but a lesser mention for Qantas this week. Look, it's hired the Boston Consulting Group to assist 
with repairing its damaged reputation and we know how damaged it is. So we thought this would be a quiet week for Qantas. Unfortunately for Qantas on Wednesday, the High Court had its say and Qantas lost its bid in the High Court to overturn a ruling that it did illegally outsource 1,700 ground handler jobs. In uh, 2020, the High Court upheld a full federal court decision, which is going to expose Qantas to, in the words of this uh, commentator, a mammoth compensation bill. So that's not great for Qantas. It's a long road back for Qantas, and that's not a good start to that. But let's see what happens from there. Now, you're heading overseas for several weeks. Where are you going and what's happening? I have a wedding in Ireland... Uh, first. Not you getting married. No, not me. But you're no, going to a wedding. Going island. to a wedding. Yes. Attending a wedding. Um, from there, we thought we'd pop over to Italy for two weeks as well. So we're doing a week in Ireland and then two weeks in Italy. Sounds very good. Should be good. Yeah, well, Should be good. have a great trip. We'll miss Thank you in you. here. Now, I hope Greeny can be up to your level. It's a big I'm ask sure for Greeny. He'll surpass me, no problem. Well, he'll need to prepare properly, and I don't really have a whole lot of confidence in Greeny's preparation. Mm. Um, if he prepares less than me, well, he's really hit rock bottom. <laughs> I know that much. Maybe. It's probably best you aren't here to see Greeny and I together. Well, I'll try and listen while I'm abroad. Because anything could happen with the preparation that we both mm. put into these things. You are the glue of this podcast because you prepare so much. So, Greeny, <laughs> prepared too much. Greeny, get preparing. <laughs> And we look forward to hearing about your trip when you return. I look forward to uh, my return as well, but looking forward to the break too. Safe travels. Yeah.